Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. What's going on, Kingdom Living Ministries? This is your boy, the truth. <laughs> Emmanuel Lee Lambert Jr., that's my biological name. That's what my mother and my father named me, but I go by the truth. I am always excited to be here with my brother in the Lord Jesus, Pastor Dwayne Wright, the scholar, the, <laughs> the theologian, the thinker, <laughs> the discipler. Um, this man is a template for um, how to pastor, how to make disciples. Um, I'm just, I've been working alongside of my brother in ministry for what, 20 plus years maybe? Yeah, so it's been, it's been quite the journey and um, I'm so excited to be here. Really excited about this word. Um, something about coming here. I always say this, don't I? God gives me something specific every time I come here. <laughs> so I'm excited about that, man. Excited about you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Um, we're going to get into prayer, and then we're going to dive right into the word. All right? Cool. Father, we thank you just for this time, for this moment, this opportunity. Thank you that we get the privilege of making much of you in the earth. Thank you, Lord God, for the grace to be ambassadors, making an appeal on behalf of Christ, saying be reconciled to the world, Lord, and be reconciled amongst one another as the people of God, as your church. Father, we just thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that your word is living, it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, rightly dividing bone, marrow, soul, spirit, um, judging the intents and the attitudes of the heart. We thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. It is alive. It comes alive in our hearts. And Lord, would you speak to us through your word this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this morning we're talking about the algorithm of God. The algorithm of God. Um, what do I mean by the algorithm of God? Uh, essentially, we know kind of how algorithms work in a practical sense. Um, I'm no mathematician, so I don't fully understand all the ins and outs of algorithms. All I know is, is that my computer is a little bit smarter today than it was 10 years ago because of this thing called algorithms. And what's been what's fascinating to me is um, it almost seems as though my computer knows who I am. It almost seems as though my Netflix account knows who I am. It's like when I go to when I go to my Netflix account now, it has when I first started, it was just kind of like any movie, every movie. It was just miscellaneous. But the more I spent time watching Netflix uh, because of the algorithms, it came to a point where it began to understand what I liked and disliked. <laughs> It got to a point where at, now when I go on Netflix, it says, because you liked such and such, because you watched such and such a movie, you'll probably like this movie. And that's just happening across the board where basically what algorithms are doing is algorithms are following the patterns of the user and then making determinations about what the user likes, dislikes, loves, hates on the basis of those patterns. And here's one of the things that it made me think about. It made me think about God. <laughs> because there is a question of whether or not we can actually know God. Can we know God, <laughs> right? And I think that the answer to that question is, is what I'm gonna unpack today. 
Um, but simply put, the answer is yes, we absolutely can know God if by no other means than to follow his patterns. <laughs> if we follow the algorithms of God, if we follow the patterns of God, Jesus put it like this. He says to the disciples, he says, teach them. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe my patterns. <laughs> teach them to observe my ways, my my likes, my dislikes, my passions, my agenda. Teach them to observe my patterns. And so when we talk about the algorithm, algorithm of God, essentially what we're saying is, listen, there is a way to know God. How can I get to know him if I begin to understand his patterns? So today we'll talk about the algorithm of God. Can we know God? Why is it important to know God? So forth and so on. So let's get into it. All right. <laughs> Why is it important to know God? Number one, um, I believe it was A.W. Tozer who said, no person can go any further than what they believe about God. That's always been a very profound statement to me. No person can go any further than what they believe about God. Just think about that. I can't go any higher or any lower than what I believe about God. What, what, because because when, I, when, when I begin to think about God, that's the, if he is the highest goal, the highest good, the highest standard of all things pertaining to this life and the one to come, that it's impossible for me to be any more than what I know about him. <laughs> I can't go any further than what I believe about him. <laughs> what I believe about God shapes everything. It informs everything about my worldview, about how I see this life, about how I see the life that is to come, about how I understand the origins of humanity, about how I understand what happens after death, about how I view relationships. Nobody can go any further than what they believe about God because God informs everything shapes everything. What do I think about marriage? That's going to begin and end with God. <laughs> Whether I believe that it's okay for me to just live with my girlfriend versus getting married to my girlfriend is going to be determined by what I believe about God. <laughs> you, see, you see, so so no person can go any further than what they believe about God. This is why it's important to know God. Because you none of us can be the fullest versions of ourselves without a complete understanding of who he is. <laughs> why is it important to know God? Because nobody can go any further than what they believe about God. Another reason why it's important to know God is because a knowledge of God clarifies the confusion. Woo! A knowledge of God clarifies the confusion. What do I mean by that? Listen, we're in a time where People of color, African-Americans are migrating away from Christianity for a number of reasons. Some say it's because it's anti-intellectual. Some would say because it's non-Western in heritage, which is not true. But, 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 but when we look at where people of color and African-Americans are migrating to, it's very interesting. Because what's happening is a lot of a, a lot of people are migrating to other religions that they believe are more rooted in their ancestry. <laughs> they're, they're migrating to ancestralism. Right. <laughs> because because what people what, what people of color are trying to do is reclaim their identity. They're trying to f f rediscover who they are. Who are we as a people? We've been we, we, we've we've been um, uh, what's the one I'm looking for? 
Uh, we've been disenfranchised and, 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 and we, we can't, we, we, we can't, we, historically we've been displaced and, and culturally we've been displaced and we, we can't, listen, if you say to a person, let's just say an Italian American, if you, if you identify them as an Italian American, they own that. Right. A hundred percent. Right. They, because there's a sense of dual citizenship. Whereas if you talk to a person of color, if you talk to an African-American, we don't so readily and so easily embrace those titles and embrace those labels because we don't feel as connected. Right. We don't feel have that sense of we but we know who we are. We have that sense of dual citizenship. No, our history puts us in a very unique space. And so with that said, as people are migrating away from from Christianity, which they believe to be non-Western, I mean Western in its heritage, what they're doing is going towards what they believe to be more non-Western religions or non-Western ideologies. And as we're kind of going through this cycle where people of color and African Americans are finding more and more flaws with Christianity, what's happening is they begin to run rummage through the Bible and find passages of scriptures that helps them to helps to justify the space that they're in. They are already fed up with Christianity based on what they believe it to be. Then they read the Bible and they see all this stuff about misogyny, what appears to be God approving of polygamy and misogyny and slavery. And they say, wait, you expect us to believe a Bible and believe in a God who endorses slavery when in fact this is not what the Bible is doing. But I can absolutely understand how a person can arrive at that conclusion. But here's the thing. Even here's the thing. There are passages in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, where there does seem to be some discrepancy, where there are some question marks about, wait a minute, was God endorsing slavery here? But here's what a knowledge of God does. Woo! Watch this. Here's what when you have a knowledge of God does. When you know God, you understand his character over the discrepancy. Watch this. So that when you read the scriptures and you read through the book of Exodus, you can't help but to see when the Bible says, I believe it's Exodus. I can't think of a chapter where the Bible says, and God heard the cries of Israel. He heard their cry. And the Bible says it, it grieved his heart to hear them crying out an oppressed people. People, a disenfranchised people, a marginalized people, an oppressed people. And, and, the, and the Bible says God heard their cry. It grieved them to the point in which the Bible says eventually he remembered them. Woo! That's just not intellectual assent. What that is is action towards the issue. Woo! So the Bible says that God remembered them. And what we read all throughout the book of Exodus is this miraculous, this grandiose, <laughs> this, this, this grandiose rescue mission where God sends Moses in to deliver the people of God. And he judges Egypt for not letting his people go. We see. So when you read through the book of Exodus, what you get is the heart of God. What you get is the character of God. What is the character of God with, with regards to this issue of slavery? God hates that God hates injustice. God hates oppression. God, he so has a problem with it. He that he so has a problem with it that he he that that he's willing to abandon and forsake all to come into the problem in order to free the people who are being enslaved. So now when I'm reading these passages, these other passages that passages that seem to contradict that, what I do is I interpret that which is obscure in light of that which is clear. Oh my 
God. Because what's clear is that God hates oppression. God hates slavery. God hates bondage. Therefore, therefore, he cannot be a God who endorses the very things that he clearly hates. See, a knowledge of God, an intimate knowledge of God clarifies the confusion. <laughs> oh, my God. An intimate. Not, see, listen, this is why the Bible says that this is why the Bible says that my people are destroyed. Watch this for a lack. And most of the world can say this with me of knowledge. But this is not intellectualism. This is not a lack of information. <laughs> it's not because, because listen, we're in an information age. Listen, I know we want to apply that passage to the age that we're in. I get it. <laughs> That's true too in some other sense. In other words, put it in the book and we won't find it. That used to be the thing that people would say about us, right? <laughs> yes, that can destroy us as well, right? <laughs> but that's not specifically what the writer here is addressing. Turn with me to Hosea 4. Check this out. Is this good, y'all? Look at Hosea 4. Watch this. Let's get some context here. Context is everything. Context also clarifies confusion. <laughs> here he says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Well, how do we know what knowledge he's talking about? How do we know he's not just talking about academic knowledge? How do we know he's not just talking about information that we need to be more enlightened for this life? Because the Bible goes on to clarify exactly what he means. The, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Watch this. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. Interesting. Interesting. That God here is not even talking about, this is not universally applicable. He's talking specifically to his people. This is why he says, for my people. <laughs> right? But then he goes on to clarify even further to say, I'm not just talking about my people. I'm talking about my priest. <laughs> oh, watch this. He says, you're not even qualified to be my priest. Says, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have, watch this, here's the reason why. Because you have, or since you have, forgotten the law of your God. <laughs> so the knowledge here is a working knowledge of the law of God. Now, here's the thing God never just wants us to have a knowledge of the law in and of itself. Because a knowledge of the law in and of itself can't produce what God is after. Because all the law can do ultimately is help us. This is not all it can do. One of the things that it can do is help us to identify what's wrong with us. It serves as a mirror so that we can see what's wrong. Now, the thing that shows you what's wrong with you does not fix you. So if I look in my mirror and I see there's an issue, there's something on my face, there's something in my teeth, the mirror won't fix me. The mirror, I have to then turn around and do something about the problem that I saw when I looked in the mirror. 
And the Bible talks about the law as a mirror. God holding up a mirror to help us to identify there's something wrong. <laughs> Oh my God. Listen, the Bible says that the he says, God says, I reject you even as my priest. This is Christian leadership. Why? Because you have forsaken the law of God. But God doesn't just want us to fall in love with the law. The purpose of the purpose of embracing the law is really so that we can ultimately give give adherence to the lawgiver. It's not just loving thy law. It's loving the law because of the lawgiver. Listen, he says here that he says, my people perish. My people are destroyed because of a lack of intimate. Watch this knowledge of me. They're destroyed because of an intentionality and going away from what they know to be true about me. My word, my way, my desires. My heart, the algorithm of God. Can we know God? <laughs> yes, this is so good. Watch this. My people are destroyed because of a lack of intimate knowledge of God. See, everybody believes they have intimate knowledge of God. Listen, I, listen. I'm a, I'm a student of pop culture. I watch a lot. I'm a, I'm a, I observe a lot. I listen to a lot of interviews of the, all the artists. I mean, ranging from Taylor Swift to DJ Khaled. And one of the interesting things that I find, especially in this era, is that there is this sense of there is this sense of honor for God in some sense. In other words, you'll hear DJ Khaled, or you'll read a post where DJ Khaled will say, "God is the greatest." <laughs> My God, you'll see You'll see a post where DJ Khaled will say something like God is love. Bless up. <laughs> he said God is love. Right. Therefore, we should love one another. You see Diddy saying, listen, from now on, call me brother love. Listen, God is love. Therefore, I should love. Listen, th these are people. Listen, th th listen, these are people that, first of all, I would love to just sit and listen to their hearts and understand their perspective. I'd love to have that moment with them, you know, because because I respect them in so many other ways. When I hear these things, it actually has a but when I hear them talk this way, it actually has kind of a, a dual effect, though, on my heart. In one sense, it's like, man, it's so dope that they have some God sense of God, a, a God consciousness. It's almost like the moment where the Bible says Paul, the apostle was what was on the was on Mars Hill, was on the Areopagus. And he said, listen, he said, I watch this. He says, I know. Notice that you are religious. Listen, listen, some theologians say that say that that's you know, that that was Paul kind of being sarcastic, while others believe that Paul actually was affirming them, which is what I hold to. I hope that Paul was saying, listen, listen, that's a good thing. He said, I noticed that you even have an altar to the unknown God. Listen, you covered all of your bases. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. But then he begins to unpack and provide them with more understanding. And watch this. Here's the thing. When I see the leaders of pop culture talk like this. Part of me gets excited. Part of me says, listen, I can affirm that God is the greatest. God is love. Therefore, we should love. But I always the other side of me. I always wonders. But do they really know what that means? Watch this. I know that they're using the right language, but do they understand the substance of what they're saying? <laughs> oh, my God. 
God. Listen, when you have a knowledge of God, watch this, when you have a comprehensive knowledge of who God is, when you have an understanding of who God is, the, the languages can be, the, the language is the same, but the substance is different. Versus the person who has a very limited knowledge of God. And what I'm saying is this. You can have a limited knowledge of God where you embrace certain parts of him but forsake his law. <laughs> but, then you can have a, but then you can have an intimate knowledge of God. Where you both, both embrace the law while giving a salute to the lawgiver and surrender of your life to him. The algorithm of God, can we... Know him. Knowing God clarifies the confusion. Because it is confusing, right? If everybody's saying God is love, but it appears that we all mean something different by what we say. <laughs> when you really know who God is, it clarifies the confusion. What's important to know about God? Here's what's important to know about God. That he's both like us, and not. <laughs> this is so good, PD. <laughs> this is so good. Oh, my God. Listen, what's important to know about God is that he is both like us and not. Shh. See, this is where some of the confusion comes in. This is why I understand who people, when people think themselves to be God. It's because they understand that he, they understand the ways in which we're like him. What they're missing is all the ways that we're not. <laughs> I got to go, PD. Listen, the one thing that's important to know about God is that we are both like him and not. <laughs> and here's the thing. What people must grow content with is being able to live within that tension. <laughs> because the truth of the matter is, that we are like God in the ways that he has made us like himself. Now, the fact that he made us like himself in some ways does not make us him. <laughs> oh, my God, bro. <sighs> the fact that God made us like himself in some ways does not make us him. Just because a twin is identical doesn't mean they're the same person. Oh, my God. Oh, listen. The confusion right now is that we think we are God because we're like God. <laughs> but we're only like God on the basis of what he has, what he has decided by his, in his wisdom to download into us. And the things that he's downloaded are the things that sometimes cause the confusion. Because it's true. God has made us like himself. Theologians call it communicable attributes that in some ways we're like God, that God is relational. We know that about God. If he's loved, then it makes sense for him to be relational. We are relational. God is not relational because we're relational. We're relational because God's relational and he's made us in his image <laughs> and his likeness. Because God has made us in his image and, his, and in his likeness, you have, it begs the question, in what ways? How does his image find expression? <laughs> How does the image and likeness of God find expression in my day to day? Oh my God, listen. 
It finds expression in relationship. <laughs> he's made us relational. He's made us social because he's social. <laughs> God is creative. Obviously, look at all of what he's responsible for having made in the earth, designed in the earth, crafted in the earth, the beauty of nature. His glory is expressed in the beauty of nature. We too are creatives. <laughs> Listen to our music. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Check out our art. Look at our art. Look, listen to our music. Watch our cinema. We too are creative. Woo! Look what a person can do with some Legos. <laughs> oh my God. Look at what a person can do with Legos. That's because we got it from God. That he's creative. He ornamented all of the skies, the firmaments of the heavens with the stars and the sun and the moon. Woo! In the same way that we ornament trees. <laughs> oh my God. Listen, in the same way that we ornament trees, God has ornamented the firmaments of the heavens. <laughs> Listen, in all of that creativity, the Bible says God gave us some of that. <laughs> and because God gave us some of that, now we can give it out to others. Here's the problem. We just don't give credit to the source. See, that's the problem. See, God doesn't have anyone he needs to give credit to for this. We do, but fail to. Or we give him credit for stuff. Watch this. We give him credit for the distorted version or the distorted expression of the creativity that he's given us. See, we either don't give him credit at all for the, for the, for the creativity he's placed on the inside of us, or we give him credit, but it's for the distorted expression of the creativity that he's given us. So if you listen to hip hop, some of it's good. A lot of it is the distorted expression of the creativity God put in you. See, we're like God in some ways, though. We're like him. We're like him. But not in every. And this is what theologians call the incommunicable attributes of God. There's some stuff that's just unique to God. <laughs> There's some stuff that's just that's just God's stuff. <laughs> oh my God. I don't got enough time. Listen. There's some stuff that that's just God's stuff. God is eternal. He's infinite. He stands outside of the boundaries in time and space. That's just God's stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. The Bible says that not even the heavens or the heavens of the heavens can contain them. Oh, my God. That's just God's stuff. The Bible says that he's enthroned on, on, a, on, a, on he sits on the throne of gems and sapphire while the while the cherubims and the seraphims, they surround the throne crying, calling out day and night. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's just God's stuff. It's just some stuff that's just God. That doesn't belong to us. We're not infinite beings. We're not eternal beings. We're not all powerful. We got some power, but we got to lift weights for it. 
We got some power, but we got to build up our Instagram followers to get it so we can leverage it to get what we want. <laughs> but the Bible teaches us that God is inherently all powerful. Oh my God, this is too. The Bible says that God is omniscient, omniscience, knowing it all at all times. The Bible teaches us that God sees everything at a point the past, the present, and the future. That's just God's stuff. You are not God and shouldn't want to be. That's too much pressure. Too much weight. You and I can't handle that kind of glory. My God, we can't even handle the glory that comes with fame. We get famous and can't handle that glory. So we start smoking and drinking and, 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 and becoming hedonists and trying to escape, always trying to get away. And we have mental breakdowns and we, because we can't even handle the little bit of glory we get on the earth. <laughs> Oh, imagine having all glory, all power, all majesty, all strength. We are not God and shouldn't want to be. It's a weight we can't carry. We were never built to carry. He's like us, but he's not. So when the Bible says that God is jealous, he's like us. He's jealous, but not like us. <laughs> See, he's jealous, but not petty. <laughs> he's jealous, but not because he's insecure. See, see, we got to get this, that God, that God foundationally starts with holiness, which means unique, other, nothing like what he's designed, nothing like what he's created. I saw Jackie Hill Perry post something last week. She said, here's one of the things that makes God not like us. He's never curious. <laughs> when he asks a question, he already knows the answer. <laughs> oh, Adam, where are you? Not like he didn't know. <laughs> oh my God. Listen, God is never curious. He already knows. Watch this. So when the Bible says that he's, watch this. So when the Bible says that God asks a question, it's not for the same reason we do even though it's the same thing. Come on, we got to get this. We got to get this. That even though God is doing the same thing, it's not in the same way. <laughs> so when the Bible says God is jealous, it's not because of insecure. When we're jealous, it's because of insecurity. When God is jealous, it's, he's, it's because he's jealous for us. <laughs> not jealous of us. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> God is jealous for you. In other words, I'll fight for you. I'm jealous for you, not of you. We're jealous of people. God is jealous for people. That's what the Apostle Paul says. <clears throat> the Bible says that God is angry righteous it's warranted it's indignation righteous indignation in other words he's angry we got every right to be <laughs> he's like us but not 
like us, but not. I want to know God. I wrestle with God because I want to know him in his fullness. I don't want to just know God intellectually. It's possible to have gone through 10 years of Bible college and seminary and still only know God intellectually. This was the problem in the Roman church or in Rome, rather. The problem in Rome is that the Bible says, <laughs> Romans 1, let's go there real quick. I'm not going to all the passages just because for the sake of time. <laughs> let's go to Romans 1 real quick. Look at what the Bible says. Romans 1. Watch this. Watch this what he says. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. In other words, we can't see God with our senses. We can't detect God with the senses, with the five senses necessarily. Sometimes we can. We can feel God. <laughs> Sometimes people have visions of God. He will reveal himself. Woo! We're going to talk about that in a second. In that way. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Watch this. But by and large. The five senses cannot capture the majesty, the essence of God. We'll talk about that in two seconds, why that is. One of the reasons why God has designed it, has intended, intends for it to be that way now. Okay. He says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So what he does, because he cannot be, because the, our, we, the sensory glands are not capable. We don't have the capacity to take God in, to see him, right? <laughs> Which is why even when the Bible says, um, except, um, what, what does he say? Uh, he says, ex what is it? Uh, you must be born again. What is it? Um, except the man. Ah, what is that? What's that passage? Yeah, that one. <laughs> except the man be born again, he cannot enter. But it's actually see, isn't it? It's actually perceive. Watch this. Except the man be born again, he cannot perceive the kingdom of God. Right? You, that's why the Bible says in Revelation and that except you have, unless you have ears to hear what the spirit is saying to the church, you won't. You won't hear what God is saying. This is why the Bible says this. When Paul was on a road to Damascus, the, 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 Bible, the Bible says that that was the moment that Jesus met him. And watch this. The Bible says that, that eventually, uh, after, after this kind of big moment of, of a huge light flashing from the heavens and Jesus having this, having this dialogue with, with then Saul, you know, who later became Paul. Listen, the Bible says that he fell off. And this is real dramatic, isn't it? Like he fell off it all. He fell off of his donkey onto the ground. Watch this. And watch this. The Bible says that the guys who were around him could not understand what was going on. <laughs> they didn't they didn't quite listen because only Paul was the only one that uh, that saw Jesus in that moment. I think the Bible says that they heard a sound but couldn't see. <laughs> oh my god. What's this? They could hear a rumbling but they couldn't quite see what was happening. 
because you need a certain set of eyes in order to understand the things of God. This is what First Corinthians is all about. Oh, this is so good. Listen, listen, this is what First Corinthians is all about. Paul the Apostle is stressing, listen, the carnal mind cannot understand spiritual things. Listen, you got family members and people that you've been trying to witness to, that you've been engaging with and dialogue and maybe it's apologetics and maybe you thought of every angle and you can't quite understand why they're still unresponsive. Listen, the Bible says that the carnal mind, the carnal man cannot understand or perceive spiritual things. The understanding of spiritual things has to begin with the Holy Spirit. And I know we live in an age where people are spiritual. I just saw yesterday Kyrie Irving right before the game was walking through uh, the, the basketball court with Sage. Right. And now I'm not here to to um, to to say necessarily anything about Sage itself. I'm not saying that there's anything inherently wrong with Sage itself. But but here's the thing. He, in the interview, he says, you know, there's a spiritual element to this, but I won't get into that now because this is basketball. You see, because we live in an age where people want to be spiritual. But here's what I love. Jesus actually addresses this. The Bible says that Jesus says the father is looking for worshipers. Watch this. Those that will worship him in spirit. <laughs> Well, watch this. So what really, really what God is after is God is after spirituality where the father is the object that the father is the object of. <laughs> the father is looking for worshipers, those that will worship him in spirit. <laughs> oh my God. Watch this. But watch this. But here's what I love. The second part is where Jesus provides the balance. Because here's the thing. If you just take that part, the Father is the object of worship. The Spirit is the means by which that worship happens. You still can fill in the blanks with what that is, what, 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 how that looks, what your version of that is. But here's what I love. What Jesus does with the second half of this statement. He says, the Father is looking for worshipers, those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. What that tells us is that spirituality needs government. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> that spirituality left to itself can be anything and can have any ramification. Watch this. But, the, but, Jesus, but Jesus provides something that helps us to kind of rein and, 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 and lasso spirituality in a bit, rope it in a bit. Listen, he says your spirituality that ultimately should, should amount to worship of the Father, watch this, must be informed by truth. <laughs> you see? See, this is important. Your spirituality that, that, that ultimately should amount to worship of the Father must be informed, informed by truth. The Father's looking for worshipers, those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Structure, government, the right, the, the tr tr truth, tr truth provides the, the right ideas. <laughs> I don't forgot where I was. <laughs> <laughs> 
I forgot where I was. Where was I? <laughs> I must have moved to my next point. <laughs> oh, wrestle with God. I want to know him. That's where I was at. <laughs> because it's possible to know God intellectually. Romans 1, that's where we were, perceiving God. <laughs> oh, you need the spirit of God to see him. Watch this. He says, uh, for his invisible, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Watch this. So they are without excuse. Watch this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. This is where the culture is. <clears throat> I know everybody, many people claim to know God. But one of the, one of the, what's what I'm looking for? Clear indicators as to whether or not that is true. One of the clear indicators as to whether or not a person truly knows God is if they honor him. <laughs> Watch this. For although they knew God. Now, wait a minute. But the Bible says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. You said we got destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Here, the Bible says they knew God. What's the big deal? Like, I don't get it. What, what, is this a contradiction? They know God. That, that's what God wanted. He wanted to be known. Again, context is everything. Please understand, when you read the scriptures, Context is everything, right? So when I'm reading the scriptures, I have to understand that I'm reading a verse in light of a chapter. I'm reading a chapter in light of a book, and I'm reading a book in light of a meta-narrative, which is the bigger, grander story, okay? That's critical to understand. It will make the difference in how you see things. Watch this. So if I walk in a room, right, and I say, "Woo, bro, that concert was hot, right? <laughs> Right now, here's the thing. Hot can mean a number of different things, can it? Like what, the, first, the first thing, like, so you don't know, you don't quite know what to make of it until or unless I add another piece. See, if I just come in and say the concert was hot, you're not going to know exactly what I mean. I could be talking about temperature. I could be saying, man, the concert was insane. Yo, you should have seen the Pyrex, right? You, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if I say... <laughs> Bro, the concert was hot. I think the air conditioner was broke. Context. <laughs> that, what that tells you is exactly what I mean when I use that particular word in that context. You know, does that make sense? <laughs> when I use that particular word in that context, now... That gives it a, that determines its meaning because that's what context does. Context helps us, it, it helps to clarify meaning. <laughs> so now when we see that they knew God and you feel like, but wait, this is all God was asking for anyway. Wasn't God, wasn't God saying that we should all know him because that is the desire of God's heart to be known? If the desire of God's heart is to be known and it says they knew him, I don't get it now. But the context gives us everything. They knew God, but they didn't honor him. And what that tells us is that the word for knew there is not the same as when Paul uses the word and he says to know God and the excellencies of his or whatever he's saying. It has to be something different. And what it has to be is they knew him intellectually. In other words, it made sense to them. 
to look up in the heavens. This is called in philosophy, a teleological argument. It made sense for the people in Rome to look up into the heavens and see the stars and see the moon and see the, 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 all the celestial, all, 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 all the celestial bodies that some of them even went as far as worshiping <laughs> to see all of the celestial bodies and think to themselves, this is probably somebody up there that has something to do with that. <laughs> In philosophy, that's called a teleological argument. <laughs> Designer, design, naturally, common sense, logically, will always assume designer, <laughs> right? But this is why, now watch this, this is why no matter how hard people try to get rid of God, they will never be able to. And let me tell you why. Because as long as babies are born, the teleological argument will always prove to them creator. It will, they will always assume designer. A child will. This is why Jesus, this is why Jesus says that we ought to have childlike faith, that we ought to be like little children, <laughs> have faith like little children. Why? Because to a child, you do not have to spend hours and hours breaking down ontological argument, teleological argument. No, a child sees the heavens, sees the trees. See, listen, a child looks online or visits, you know, another part of the country, an island, sees the blue water, the palm trees that are different than the ones that are in the city, that are different than the ones from where they live. Listen, they look at these things and assume must be somebody. They look at that. They look at their toys and they say, somebody probably made that toy. They look at the heavens and say, somebody probably has something to do with those stars. This is why we'll never get rid of God. <laughs> because as long as children are born, they'll always assume a creator. <laughs> they'll always assume a creator. It says they knew God. But intellectually, it's possible to know God intellectually. It's possible to know God existentially. In other words, I wonder if there's a bigger purpose to life. <laughs> I wonder if there's some greater being out there with a big story and a big plan. They have a sense of God existentially, a sense of God intellectually, a sense of God intuitively, because the Bible says that God has branded eternity on our hearts. So we all come into this world with a sense that there's more. <laughs> there's something out there somewhere. But they did not know him intimately. They knew him, maybe existentially, maybe intuitively, knew him intellectually, not intimately. This is what he's fighting for in Hosea. My people are destroyed because of a lack of intimate knowledge. Listen, when the Bible talks about Adam and Eve, the Bible says, and he knew her. And the word for knew there is knowledge. And the word for knowledge there is intimately he knew her. Do you know God intimately? Do you know God intimately? Follow his patterns. Oh, God, intimately. Has God made himself known? Has God made himself known? Absolutely. And not at all. <laughs> yes and no. What God has done, first of all, the fact that we have to get to know God is a consequence of sin coming into the world. 
This is not what God intended from the beginning. And from the beginning, the relationship with God and the first man and the first woman was not so. We get a glimpse of that when the Bible says that God, that, G, that it was probably a, a, uh, a Christophany, which is uh, essentially a type of Christ before Christ was actually revealed in the earth. Uh, in the garden, the Bible says that God walked through the cool of the day. Walk through the cool of the day. You just get a sense of fellowship, relationship, that, 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 that the garden was a place where God dwelt. <laughs> we see that this concept of God dwelling all throughout the scripture. He dwelt with his people. He dwelt with, this, he dwelt with the first man and the first woman in the garden. Some, some scholars and theologians actually maintain that this is where God lived, that he decided to make this, to make this the garden of Eden his dwelling place. And again, the Garden of Eden was a part of something far greater. Remember, the Garden of Eden is not all that existed at that particular time. It was the Garden of Eden, which is probably a city. (laughs) It's just why when they got kicked out, there were places for them to go. (laughs) You see? So, 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 but so the, so the garden was a very unique and special uh, uh, place. And I believe that it's probably true that God just lived there. Now, granted, again, not of the heavens or the heavens of the heavens can contain them. So if God decides to live amongst us, he has to do it in a very in a certain way because we just cannot handle all of him. Now, granted, in that point, in their imperfect, I mean, in their perfect kind of unconfirmed, perfect kind of space, maybe they could. But the point is that God probably dwelt there with them. We see that theme running throughout the scriptures where the Bible talks about the tent of meeting in the book of Exodus, where God came to dwell in the tent of meeting and meet with people, his people face to face. We see when the temple is built, the actual temple is built, that the presence of God dwells there, that God is dwelling amongst us. And then the Bible says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And the word was with God uh, and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God has always dwelt with people. So in a sense, yes, God has always made himself known. But 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 something uh, but in, in his desire rather has, is to be was to be known fully and completely without any inhibitions, without any restrictions, without us getting tired when we read the scriptures or bored when we we hear the word. Listen, God's desire was to always be known, but something happened <laughs> that broke up that fellowship, which was sin entered into the world, death through sin. And then God had to do something. God had to hide. <laughs> watch this. God had to hide. Listen, Isaiah, watch this. Uh, go, to, go to Isaiah really quickly, really quickly, really quickly. Check this out. Isaiah, watch this, 45, 15. Look at this. Watch what he says. Truly you are a God who hides himself. (laughs) Oh, God of Israel, the Savior. Truly you are a God who hides himself. Again, this wasn't God's intention from the beginning. But when sin broke that relationship and broke the fellowship between us and himself, God had to hide himself. (laughs) Watch this, because the Bible says this. He had to do it, first of all, to protect us. 
Because the Bible says that when, that, that when God has a moment with Moses, Moses, after that whole fiasco where Israel is making gold, uh, you know, making ring, uh, throw, throwing all that gold, making the golden calf, worshiping the guy, they, because they got impatient with Moses, that whole fiasco, Moses is like, what in the world is going on? God, are you still here? Are you still with us? And the Bible says that God revealed himself to Moses, but told him, go hide yourself. Watch this. Because if I show you myself in the full, I'm going, to, I'm going to reveal myself to you so that you know I'm still with you. <laughs> but I can't show, I can only show you but so much. Because any man who sees me in my fullness will die. <laughs> so God has to hide himself to protect us. Ah, this, this is so good. Watch this. He's shrouded in mystery to protect us. He, listen, God has to tuck away. Even in Christ, God had to hide himself. <laughs> in fact, God said the only way I can really reveal myself is to hide myself. Oh, my God. I can't even reveal who I am to you in the way that you need me to unless I hide. God has hidden himself. And so the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. What does that mean? Figure out his patterns. <laughs> what are the patterns of God? Oh, he loves. Oh, okay. It's when, when Abraham was having an issue, Abraham said, what did Abraham say? Um, it was, it was, he asked a clarifying question. He says, when, when uh, Sarah's kind of laughing at God, she said, there's no way I would, we can have kids. There's, the Bible says, Abraham says, he asked a, a clarifying question. He says, is anything too hard for God? He knew something about God because he followed his rhythms. <laughs> Abraham followed the rhythm of God. All of his life. <laughs> so by the time he got to this, he was like, God can do anything. Not because that's where he started, but because just through the journey of life, following the rhythm of God, <laughs> he got to a place where even that which is impossible for man was possible for God. And he understood that wholeheartedly. He had no doubt in his heart, even though Sarah couldn't believe it. Sarah had difficulty accepting it. Sarah laughed. God said, what's so funny? <laughs> Abraham said, is anything too hard for God? That's because he followed the rhythm of God throughout the journey of life. It's a, it's a, it's a life. It's, a, it's, it's, it's living in the rhythm. It's following the, the algorithms of God. Ah. Oh. He said he didn't like, he must like this, just like with Netflix. <laughs> oh, he doesn't watch much of that. Must not be into it. Must be more into this. 
This is what we, we can do with God. When we read the scriptures, this is what we get. When we look at how God deals with, deals with us in our own lives, this is, this is the knowledge that we come to. We come to a knowledge and understanding of God. I know we feel like he's afar off. This is, why he, this is why he makes it clear, I am not afar off. He says it himself in the book of Acts. Seek me while yet I may be found, for I am not afar off. I am close to you. Following the algorithms of God, do you know him? Can he be known? Yes and no. Yes, because he's revealed himself. His clear and final revelation is in Christ Jesus. He's revealed himself through various mediums, through various means. Clear and final revelation is in Christ. So yes, we can know God to some extent. But then in other ways, some of the files of God are just classified. Some of the files of God are just classified and they're just mysteries, the secret things that just belong to him. And I know as an apologist, I would love to be able to just figure it all out. <laughs> but if God is big enough, if he's small enough to fully understand that he's not big enough to worship, I would love to be able to figure God out. I would love to. That's what the scientists do. But the Bible says that he frustrates the intellect. <laughs> The Bible says he frustrates the intellect of the wise, the people who thinks themselves to be wise, the people who think themselves to be smart enough to figure God out or to eradicate God or get rid of God or find a way to erase God. Or, but this whole notion that science has buried God and this whole idea that, that, that now we're more advanced and more progressive, therefore we don't need God. The Bible says that he frustrates the intellect of the wise. Last thing I'm going to say, then I'm done. I have to speak to this because here's what we think. We don't think we need to know God because we feel like we're prog we've progressed beyond him. <sighs> My God. The reason why we feel like we don't need to know God is because we pro progressed beyond him. I want to read you this quote and then I'm done. Ah, oh, PD, we need to do two parts. I wish you could see my notes. <laughs> I literally have a whole, I'm so mad I can't get to this stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but the reason why we feel like we don't need God, don't need to know God, is because we think we've progressed beyond him. Stephen Gould said this. We are here because he's an atheist. We are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar friend, then anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures. Because a comet struck the earth and wiped out dinosaurs, thereby giving mammals a chance not otherwise available. Thank our lucky stars in a literal sense. Because the earth never froze entirely during the ice age. Because a small and tenuous species arising in Africa a quarter of a million years ago has managed so far to survive by hook and by crook. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exist. This explanation, <laughs> though, super, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. Essentially what Stephen Gould is saying is, 
This notion of God getting him out of the equation, getting him out of the picture, even though it might be terrifying because you don't have God as a crutch, even though it might be, might be troubling because that's the very foundation upon which your entire life has been built. Ultimately, it's liberating. Ultimately, it's exhilarating. And so Dr. Ravi Zacharias says in response to him, he says, there's a terrible irony here. <laughs> what is exhilarating and liberating? What is the exhilarating and liberating thing that we're talking about here? He says, am I missing something? He says, is the liberation synonymous with the fact that we have become one of the most violent and drugged nations on earth? Is this the exhilaration that makes sedatives and antiacids the most highly sold drugs across pharmaceutical counters just slow us uh, to slow us down from the mad rush for ever increasing wealth? Is this exhilaration that which is sending our songwriters and musicians into a frenzy on the stage and into a stupor in their homes? Is this the exhilaration venting forth on our on our talk shows that pride themselves and profane arguments as entertainment? Is this the exhilaration that has fragments of our families often victimized the weakest in our midst? Is this the exhilaration of living in the bloodiest century and all of human history? Is this the exhilaration of a generation of young people who oftentimes fatherless, many times hopeless? Is all this the exhilaration and, lim and liberation that you speak of? Or are we just playing deadly word games once again? We think we've progressed past God, but just take a step back and look at what a life with God out of the equation is amounting to. The stuff that we're calling liberation. The culture is calling freedom and sexuality, fluidity and sexuality, liberation. Is this what we're calling liberation? Look at the consequence of taking God out. We have not progressed beyond knowing God. For no man or woman can go any higher or farther than what they believe about him. May we spend the rest of our days following the rhythm of God, understanding that a knowledge of God establishes for us a foundation upon which we can stand for the rest of our days so we can stand firmly planted, even in the midst of a chaotic and turbulent an unpredictable world so that we can have the hope of an eternity beyond this life. We can have hope. We can have joy, not just the joy that comes as a consequence of the happenings of this life. Good things happening in our lives, but the joy that is actually other because it's unspeakable, <laughs> a peace that actually transcends comprehension because it just don't make sense for me to be okay <laughs> with all this madness. But because I'm rooted in what I know about God, I say, is there anything too hard for him? Spend your days following the rhythm of God, tracing the algorithm of God, calculating <laughs> the algorithm of God. 
that you may know him, as Paul the Apostle says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. In Jesus' name. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His Word. God bless you.